I think there are many people who are high achievers who come to a point in their lives where maybe they've lost some of that mindfulness. And I think that a lot of what we do to get to that place challenges our ability to stay mindful, you know, having to multitask all day, being sleep deprived, feeling tired, you know, working very, very hard for many, many years. We know that that can deplete the ability to be cognitively focused. And so this is actually something you can do about that. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. And I'm thrilled to be joined today with Dr. Antonia Stephen from Harvard Medical School, as well as MGH. And I know her as Apple. So that's who I will be talking to today is my friend Apple. And she is a surgeon who specializes in thyroid surgeries. And she is also the head of the wellness for surgeons at Harvard Medical School and MGH in Boston. And Apple, I know one of the things that you and I love talking about and sharing information about is the impact that a regular practice of meditation and mindfulness can have on helping physicians not only be more just relaxed human beings, but really help them be better physicians and have better experiences outside of their work as physicians as well, kind of in that whole life way that we want to make sure that we support physicians as well. So what is it that you're excited about now in terms of what we know about how a regular meditation practice and a mindfulness practice can support the work that physicians are doing in the world? Thanks, Jill. And thanks for having me. I think that I've come around to meditation and mindfulness as something that really helps me in every single aspect of my life. And additionally, it helps me pivot between all the different things in my life, which include obviously my work at the hospital in the operating room, out of the operating room, in academics, teaching residents and medical students, and you know, at home, and in even things like my own athletic pursuits. So there's many different applications of mindfulness. Focusing on sort of the life of a physician, and specifically the life of a surgeon, is having sort of this practice of meditation and mindfulness in your life, which we do often practice when we have a quiet moment, you know, alone in our home or in our office actually makes you better able to keep that focus, keep that relaxed focus, which is where you really always want to be in your life when you're trying to accomplish anything or do anything. You're able to bring that relaxed focus to really every aspect of your work. So that's sort of where I came around to doing this and why I think it's so important for really anyone with a busy life and certainly for academic physicians. And so you have been excited about the fact that there's been some research out there. So there's some new emerging information that's showing that physicians who do practice some form of regular meditation say that it actually impacts the ability to work as well. I think there's some research out of California and some other places as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that for those of us who aren't familiar? Absolutely. So I'm just going to kind of go back a bit to the original meditation clinics, which were mindfulness-based stress reduction or MBSR clinics, which were really applied mainly to patients. Um, primary care physicians would refer patients with problems like hypertension, anxiety, depression to these clinics, and the patients would go and they would see some good outcomes. And it certainly didn't take long for people in other aspects of life to realize that if you were just a regular person and weren't necessarily diagnosed or struggling with any of these problems, 
that you could actually improve your own life, your own focus, reduce your stress, and be better able to focus on what you want to get done by adopting these techniques. So some of the areas in which it's been applied even before medicine and physicians were interested in it, although many individuals were, were sports and business. And in particular, elite athletes would take these MBSR courses and adapt them to their own sort of lives or teams or need for achievements. And there are publications on how this impacts an athlete's ability to stay focused throughout a tryout, throughout you know a, a challenging event. And that data has been published. And in the meantime, physicians, and in particular surgeons, have also studied the techniques of mindfulness and meditation and how it impacts not just your sense of well-being, not just your stress levels, but also your ability to stay focused and perform. Uh, Two of the places that have studied this closely in, in residence is at UCSF, where they have a center for mindfulness and surgery, and also at the University of Indiana. What was particularly interesting about the data from University of Indiana is that they actually looked very closely at technical performance in the skills lab, and in particular in laparoscopic skills, which can be a very difficult and frustrating thing to learn how to do. And they compared medical students and residents who were attempting to learn these very difficult skills and studied ones that were trained in mindfulness and ones that weren't and did see differences in their ability to focus throughout these challenging exercises. So based on this kind of new emerging research and just your life as a practicing physician and somebody who is a you know professor at Harvard Medical School and sees residents and new surgeons coming up, is it your belief that most physicians and surgeons would benefit through their training and then into their life and in their medical practice if they would develop a regular meditation and mindfulness practice? Do you think it's for everyone? I do. I don't think there's a single person out there, no matter what you're doing, that couldn't benefit from feeling more focused and feeling more relaxed when they're doing these things. It's sort of the sweet spot that we all want to get to. We sometimes talk about it as the flow state. Mm -hmm. And in whatever you're doing in your life, being in that focused state of mind is no doubt of great benefit to whatever you're trying to accomplish. Whether you're trying to accomplish a difficult surgery, whether you're trying to run a meeting or have a conversation with a colleague, or whether you're you know, confronting your angry teenager, being focused and present and relaxed is the absolute best way you can be. Now, keep in mind, Jill, that people do bring their own baseline of this Mm -hmm. to their lives. And there may be many people who are extremely mindful, who don't practice meditation. And actually, my father was one of those people. I don't think he ever had a meditation practice. I think he knew about it, but never studied it or I'm not even sure he read about it. And he was probably the most mindful and present person that I've ever known him and probably my friend and neighbor, Dr. John Cabotson. So does everyone need it? Should everyone do it? Well, you know, I mean, once again, it sort of depends on where you are at baseline. I think there are many people who are high achievers who come to a point in their lives where maybe they've lost some of that mindfulness. And I think that a lot of what we do to get to that place challenges our ability to stay mindful, you know, having to multitask all day, being sleep deprived, feeling tired, you know, working very, very hard for many, many years. We know that that can deplete the ability to be cognitively focused. And so this is actually something you can do about that. So do I support this for anyone and everyone? I certainly do. Is it ever something that you can insist that someone do or make them do? No, never. It's something that you can introduce and talk about and discuss how you've seen it benefit yourself and other physicians. 
And then when someone feels that they need it, we hope that it's there for them. Yeah. And what kind of hesitations do you hear from your colleagues about this? It's like after you talk about it for a little while, it kind of feels like, well, that's sort of a no brainer. Why wouldn't I want to do something that makes me more present and relaxed and focused and may even help me sharpen my skills to a degree? But what do you find are the obstacles or hesitations that show up for people that keep them from just becoming meditators or having a mindfulness practice in their life? That's a great question, Jill. And I think, honestly, of all the questions that we've discussed, this is the multi-million dollar one. When you talk to people about preserving their cognitive function, when you talk to surgeons about preserving their cognitive function, when you talk to surgeons about performing technically better in the operating room, when you talk to surgeons about being able to stay relaxed and focused throughout all these difficult days that we have, I mean, obviously, everybody wants that. I think there's a few things. First of all, I do think that this concept of mindfulness and meditation for some time, and that has been eroded by the involvement of the sports and business communities, was sort of seen as just a relaxing technique, you know, just like any other sort of hocus pocus. It's sort of connection sometimes with things that, you know, seemed not intense or silly or, you know, whatever, however you want to put it. I think that it sort of got a bad rap in some ways, at least for people like surgeons. I think that has, if you really look at who's doing it and who's practicing it, like elite athletes and and business leaders and CEOs, that really we're moving a little bit away from that. And I think that's great. But I think that's one thing that, you know, God, another relaxation technique, oh God, more burnout talk, more wellness talk. And so I think that if you really see this as a way to sort of prove your focus, and obviously it's a no-brainer, but I think it did get a little bit of a bad rap, we're moving a little bit away from that, which I think is great. So then let's just say that, you know, you give a talk to a bunch of surgeons and you describe this and they actually do buy it, that they don't think it's hocus pocus, that they don't see themselves sitting on a cushion like a Buddhist or whatever, that they are interested in this. So then you get down to something that I read recently was called the knowing doing gap. Mm-hmm. which is when we know something is good for us. We know that it's incredibly important and we know that it's going to have this incredibly positive impact on our life and our relationships and our families and how we are as a surgeon and how we are as a parent. But yet it's still so hard to find the time and commitment to do it mm-hmm. you know, in the long term. And when I gave a talk, I was with you, one of the residents, and I will tell you that the younger generation of surgeons are way more interested in this than ever before. He raised his hand and he said, you know, my wife meditates every single day and it really helps her. And she's trying to get me to do it. And he also, as I would assume, believed what I said. So he believed in the fact that this was really going to help him. He said, but when I wake up, you know, in the morning and I got all these emails. I got to scroll through my emails. And so how can I take 10 minutes when I have to answer two or three emails? So, you know, I I came a little bit back at him and said, you know, look, I said, I just told you that this technique is going to preserve your cognitive function over time. And you're telling me that answering one or two emails is more important. Now I'm giving him a little bit of a hard time because the reality is, is that that's where a lot of us live. Mm -hmm. And one of the tips that I got in terms of meditation is that if you want to build a new habit, that you try to attach it to a habit that you already have. Yep. Piggybacking is what it's known in our into coaching world. (laughs) And, you know, we brush our teeth every day. And every time we brush our teeth, we don't think, oh my God, I have to brush my teeth because if I don't brush my teeth, my teeth are going to rot out and I'm going to go to the dentist and they're going to charge me lots of money and my breath is going to be bad. We don't think any of those things, right? Mm -hmm. We just do it. And so the more you can attach 
meditation to another habit, make it a routine, the more you might bridge that knowing doing gap of which we speak. But it's not easy. It's not easy to develop a new habit and it's not easy to stick with it. Yeah, that's a great point. And in my experience of working with physicians, you know, there can be some perfectionism that comes into, I say that uh, with my tongue in my cheek, not that there can be some perfectionism, there is almost always some perfectionism with thinking they're going to try something new. And so I'll say, you know, have you thought about adding uh, meditation or mindfulness and talk about the benefits of it? And their immediate concern is, well, now I've got to go, you know, to a, a six day meditation retreat or read three books to figure out how to get it on perfectly. And so I love how you kind of reminded us that the more that we can systemize it, things in our lives, it's kind of like being able to start riding your bike on the downhill a little bit when you attach it or piggyback that habit to something you're already doing. So that's an incredible, helpful way for us to begin to think about starting a new habit. This has been wonderful. Dr. Antonia Apple-Steven from Harvard Medical School and MGH in Boston, the head of wellness for surgeons there. So many good things to think about in terms of how meditation and mindfulness can benefit a physician's medical practice. I want to make sure all of you tune in. We're going to have another podcast where we talk specifically about how to make time for meditation and mindfulness because, you know, we all know doctors don't have any time. So how we can actually make time for meditation and mindfulness. So make sure you tune in for that. But in the meantime, Apple, thank you so much for being here and sharing your expertise with us. Thanks, Jill. Until then, everybody, we'll see you next time on Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Amanda Taran. I'm the producer of the Doc Working Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love it if you checked out our website, which is docworking.com. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. On Instagram, we are docworking1, and that is with the number 1. When you check us out on social, please let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. Your feedback really means a lot to us. And if you're a physician with a story you'd like to tell, please reach out to me at amanda at docworking.com to apply to be on the podcast. Thank you again, and we look forward to talking with you on the next episode of Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast.